0: This episode contains content that might be distressing to some listeners as we delve into the topic of sexual harassment. Gossip has always been about having difficult conversations and exploring the nuances of the issues with a gender lens. Questions are deliberately designed to provoke in order to help deepen reflections from the guest speakers. It is in no way an attempt to diminish or discredit the struggles of survivors of sexual harassment but an attempt to initiate a conversation on how we should move forward in a way that addresses the issue and provides survivor-centric redresses with the full support of the surrounding slash affected community.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of Gossip, a podcast series where we discuss and try to better understand alternative perspectives on issues the podcast series is part of Pris Network's ongoing efforts to create a safer space for discourse on gender inequality issues and human rights. My name is Angela Kogodas and I will be your host for today. Our topic today is about fighting sexual harassment and whether the naming and shaming of alleged perpetrators is call-out or cancel culture. To help us unpack this question, our guest speakers... Fadia Nadwal Fikri, who is a lawyer by training and currently doing her PhD in Southeast Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore, and Daniela Zulkifli, who is currently the Vice President of Association of Women Lawyers, and is part of the team that drafted the Anti-Sexual Harassment Bill for the Women's Rights Activists who formed the advocacy group. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Hello. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> yes, thanks for inviting us, Angela.
1: The feminist movement is a movement that has historically named and shamed. However, on the one hand, the feminist movement, especially one that is dominated by older feminists, can appear too soft and unwilling to rock the boat, maybe too used to just pushing paper, and especially when relationships have been built and allies, no matter how imperfect, are still seen as allies, are still seen as important to engage with. On the other hand, for many older feminists, The use of digital media and digital social networks has rendered call-outs dangerously irresponsible, as if to say, collateral damage be damned. Very similar to the acts of war generals and dictators. Are there differences among these three, naming and shaming, call-outs and cancel culture, that has emerged with digital technology? Let's start with you, Fadia.
2: All right. Uh, thank you so much, Angela, uh, for having me today. So now we're talking about cancel culture in the context of sexual harassment, right? Yep. Um, I think before we unpack what uh, this culture means, I think we have to understand that all knowledge is contextual. This is what Stuart Hall says. Um, that means everything that we know, for example, gender, race, uh, cancel culture, you know, sexual harassment, all these things that, that, that are unfolding before our eyes, uh, they have context, so before we talk about whether cancer culture is good or not, we have to understand where does this concept come from, and I think it's very important for us to look at the context. So the context is, um, of course, you know when Obama started writing in public, you know, uh, saying things like, "Oh, you know, cancer culture is very dangerous." I think we have to understand where he was coming from because he was actually responding to people who were. Calling him out for his uh, war crimes when when uh, under his presidency, for mm. example, and then we know you know Wade and Roe, uh, he could have codified Wade and Roe, and people were also criticizing him. You know and a lot of things that he promised to do, but at the same time he was like, oh okay, you know that was not the priority. And look at the implications of all his actions, you know, as the former president or as president at that time. So. So that is the context. So Obama, you know, when he was president, he held a lot of power. So again, you know, we're talking about unequal power relations. So when people call people in power out, you know, you have to understand that we don't have anywhere else to go, right, to to make them accountable. So okay. we, you know, that's the only channel that we have, you know, to to basically get people to understand the gravity of
1: the Situation, you know, the but it's not possible people. to cancel uh, someone in power, you no? like someone like yeah, Obama, exactly, right? you, exactly. You know, like people have been, you know, calling him
2: out for like years, and he's still out there, you know, like living a good life, not accountable for the war that is still ongoing in Yemen, for example. So we are talking about war crimes here. Nobody is calling mm. him a dictator, you know, when he mm-hmm. was uh, president of the United States. So that is the context that we have to understand and you know go deeper into.
1: Yeah. Okay so so are you saying then fadya that uh, naming and shaming call out and cancel culture uh i mean the term itself we should likely reject it because of the context that that you just explained so yeah. call out and naming and shaming it's it's and even to cancel someone right that there's a sort of conflation is there a conflation is there like a, Something we need to just understand context first before we understand.
2: Yeah, I think we also need to understand, you know, the content of that call out, right? Like why people are calling out certain people. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, you know, cancer culture is bad. So we just Mm. have to reject it. I think that's very dangerous because we are playing into this whole, you know, who has more power to hold that kind of narrative, right? So... That's why I think we have to go deeper into that and also understanding uh, the power imbalance, you know, or when we talk about cancel culture, when we call, I would talk about calling people out, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let, let's um, get to you, Danny, because um, uh, when we call out name and shame, uh, sometimes, uh, a lot of times, there's a um, radical edge to it, right? Uh, and also some people would say there's a judgmental edge, right? There's no like, like uh, it's almost like there's no room for forgiveness. You know, people are sort of ignoring the harm that's being done in the call out. And is it always where the power is um, monolithic, right? It's not always so clear cut where the, the person is like all supreme and uh, the other person who's uh, making the allegations is doesn't have any kind of power. What do you think about that, Danny, in terms of what Fadia has just shared?
0: I I do agree in the sense that calling out means that you know um, you can now basically hold someone sort of accountable when you don't usually have that sort of um, opportunity otherwise, right? Who are you to like, for example? You know, you don't you don't go and meet Obama, you know, and say, hey, you know, Mm, that this yeah, you don't have the opportunity. You can only do that online because that's where people are accessible. Um, and I, I think there's there's that power with, you know, calling out or can canceling because you you can do that. It, it enables you to actually say something or speak up true. sometimes some, you know, sometimes sometimes nothing happens and things continue as they are. but knowing that other people are, you know, also, uh, you know, hold the same views, for example, that does give you that sort of validation that like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not the only person who thinks that this is wrong, for example. You know, and when when someone does get cancelled, you know, that person then loses influence or power. And that can happen in different forms, right? Sometimes you you may get invited to like certain, um, and, and I think in the context of like what, what has happened in Malaysia, for example. Mm. Sometimes you don't get called for, for know, events engagements anymore to, to or speak, events yeah. anymore because people know who you are and what um, what you've done. Um,
1: but how is that or, different? I mean, we're talking about this. this uh, In a way, the, this phenomenon has really like sort of emerged uh, because of the digital technology, right? The digital sphere. I mean, in, in an office environment, people sort of know if there's a person who's quite, you know, is a sexual harasser, Yet the the I guess the cancel culture doesn't happen. <laughs> There's mm. no ostracization. That's not like, oh, I know what you did, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So so why is there this huge difference in terms of what's happening online and what could happen in office environment? Let's say it's not a small office, let's say it's a reasonably large office, right? A, a large corporation.
0: I think there is you know, one is of course the the access because when you're online, you you don't have to put your whole name, right? you you can actually be whoever you want. it, it you you may hide behind an identity, for example. Mm. And you might feel safer that way because you know and, and and this goes to like victimization, for example. you you sometimes people don't speak up because they fear what will happen to them and i think in an uh, in an in an online or virtual context you have that sort of protection in a sense um so that that sort of gives a bit of empowerment to people who actually call out or, or speak up against someone when you are in a, you know purely physical context it's a bit harder to do that it, it's not it's not that you can't do it you can it's just that it's easier to find you and now you know you you someone can actually take action against you and and this is actually exactly what happens to a lot of people when they do you know lodge a complaint or you know speak up against against sexual harassment or any other forms of um wrongdoings especially when the person that they're complaining against is the ceo or mm. you know managing director or someone who is actually in power or, or worse you know um, director of hr
2: mm, mm. um
0: People right in positions of power, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah.
1: The red, the radical edge of that, calling out that judgmental sort of flavor that sometimes comes with it, right? Like, there's no forgiveness. There's no room to 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 sort of discuss this. How do we move forward together? How do we sort of like support each other to to transform? You know, to mm-hmm. to become better. You know, um. And and we've actually seen that in even in the human rights movement in Malaysia. Uh, some of these uh, allegations that have popped up, right? Uh, Fadia, what do you think about that? Like, isn't there harm that's being done as well?
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, of course, you know, we we just talked about, you know, how we deal with people who are in positions of power. At the same time, we also have to think about situations where people who are in community with one another Like how do they deal with this kind of thing? For example, if I have a friend that I love and that friend has been accused of sexual harassment or sexual violence, how do I make that friend who's also friends with other people in my community accountable? Mm. So I think to, to have that sense of community is very important. And for us to define what a community is, is also important. And also for us to like sit down together and like think about ways to change members of our community. Because now we're not talking about Obama anymore, right? We're talking Mm. about people amongst us. And if you want that to change, then I think we have to start thinking seriously about the things that we want to do, so that that person can change so that love is something that would guide our action in trying to bring about that change.
1: I have a question and maybe we'll come back to that because um, how does that translate um, you know, as a as a feasible sort of mechanism? It might come out in our in, in the next questions. So, Fadia, again to you, as feminists, we know that sexual violence and abuse is about power. So in fact, yes. we're very conscious of who has power and how it's wielded. Yes. But too few of us notice how power shifts as well. And whether that results in injustices, we certainly want victim blaming to stop. Mm -hmm. However, cancel culture, the way it has sort of played out, right, in terms of especially in digital spaces, appears to function on the presumption of guilt where, unlike the law, alleged perpetrators are not innocent until proven guilty.
2: I think it has to be evaluated on the facts that are before us, right? So. You know, of course, you know, power shifts and all that, and not everything is clear cut. You know, sometimes, you know, things change depending on where we stand. You know, when we say that all women are oppressed, is that correct? When we talk about bourgeois women and domestic helpers coming from poor countries, for example. So that's, Mm. you know, you see the shift, right? So if we say that women are not capable of oppression, that is gender essentialism which is something that we should reject because that is very simplistic. And also, you know, it's basically trying to say that human beings are inherently bad. You know, like women are, you know, men are inherently bad. That means they cannot be changed because we're talking about systems, right? Systems Mm -hmm. that can be changed, systems that have changed us. And what do we do now to change those systems of oppression, like patriarchy, capitalism? You know those kinds of things. So yeah, as you said, I think to see how power shifts is also important. That's why I think it's we have to be really careful in evaluating the the facts that are presented to us, so that we are clear on what we can do and then what on what we should do. You know, as members of this community that that care, you know, for one another. Yeah.
1: So Can coming I, to you, Danny. Danny, yeah, um, right. sorry, did you want to add something?
0: Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that. I mean, yeah, as lawyers, I think we understand that you know you're presumed innocent until guilty. But sometimes, sometimes what happens is is you know, and there are a lot of incidents where this has actually occurred. Is that when someone says something or speaks up against something or accuses someone of of you know sexually harassing them, or 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 oh, doing even worse things than that. Mm. Um, there's this tendency to not believe um the complainant because you assume that they are lying. Yeah. So I, I think we need to also, you know, sometimes we need to also balance that, right? So like what what Fadia said, you know, you have to really evaluate the facts. I mean, sure, you're not you're not personally involved in it, so you can't hundred percent know, but you cannot also you know, you cannot say that you assume that this person is innocent until proven guilty, but you cannot also say that the other person is presumed a liar until proven to be telling the truth, Mm. um, and then, and then proceed to attack the person who is making the complaint.
1: But but you've worked on the anti-sexual harassment bill and, um, how much weight do you then give to an accusation, right? How much weight should people give to an accusation? What would be like the next steps that they would need to think about before they actually start to say, mm, I don't know whether she's really telling the truth, you know? So what do you think? like, And what's your experience of it? Like, you know, in terms of drafting the bill and all.
0: Yeah, I, I think, of course, when it comes to, you know, trying to uh, uh, taking legal action, you you need to and i mean it goes without saying you don't I'm, i i'm not going to say oh you need to find proof and all that because you know it, when it happens it happens yeah and sometimes right? it's so difficult um and you know sometimes even if there are no like eyewitnesses for example you would still mm. have people that you that you've spoken to right after the incident who can actually help support your case and all that um you know when when you assess a case for example it, you know you you cannot assume that whatever, you know, the complainant says is untrue. You you actually need to look into it. And I think under the tribunal, what we what what we have tried to do at least, is that um, uh, we actually propose an inquisitorial type of investigation because the tribunal, as members who you know have experience in the law and also um experience in dealing with sexual harassment, need to understand the dynamics um of sexual harassment and how it happens and you know the the many many surrounding issues around it um in order to make a decision and not say that oh you know because because it's a he says she says sort of thing therefore Mm. it must be untrue um of course the the actual bill doesn't say this right but you know this is something that we need to look at in terms of the the you know Assessment of evidence and and also looking at the regulations to try to make it um make it easier for people to access justice.
1: Yeah, and that and that's key, right? Access to justice. Yeah. But could you explain a little bit about the tribunal? Because, you know, in case people haven't read the anti-sexual harassment bill <laughs> and yeah, the role so, it plays.
0: So one of the key things um that is introduced in the bill is this tribunal, right? Although the 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 funny thing about it and and what is actually lacking is that it starts it actually starts with the tribunal There's, you know um, the act just establishes a tribunal in in the beginning it doesn't actually say expressly that sexual harassment is a wrongdoing under the mm. bill which is quite strange and you know what we wanted to put in but anyway um, so what the tribunal does is that it's meant to be an easier faster cheaper way um uh, or, or you know an avenue of getting redress because what it does is that you there is a timeline for resolution of a case which is about 60 days um it also says that the the tribunal is close to the public so you have some privacy um and then it it also it also consists of members who not only you know from the judicial legal service or people who have experience in, in like legal practice but also people who have experience in sexual harassment issues and so and, and so this could include um even activists for example right mm. because you need that you need that understanding of the issue in order to to really be able to make a decision on on a particular complaint and then it also gives the survivors a list of remedies. Um, So if you look at it, it says something along the lines of like, you know, compensation or an apology or in order to attend a program. Um, Originally, when we wanted to put this program in, it wasn't written as a program. It was actually written as counseling or rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. That was amended somehow um, to say program because they wanted it to, to have a wider sort of meaning. So we're like, okay, fine. So, um, and then what? another thing that the bill does is that it introduces an administrator. So this administrator um, has powers or functions that include formulating policies um, or issuing guidelines relating to prevention um, or awareness of sexual harassment or to administer any method relating to prevention um, or awareness of, of sexual harassment. So that's uh, essentially what the ASH bill has. It does have some shortcomings. Um, and, and you know, there are things that that are a bit lacking. Like one is of course, you know you don't start off a bill just saying okay, there is a tribunal dealing with sexual harassment. you need to talk about the sexual harassment first, right? Yeah. Um, there's also we wanted protection against victimization.
2: Mm.
0: and that is very important because see uh, a lot of times and and this is this goes back to what I said earlier right um a lot of times people don't speak up or don't lodge a complaint or don't actually take action because they fear retaliation um and we've seen this in many 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 examples right um where you know you you actually talk about something and then, and then you're the one who actually suffers from it, and and you know Ayn Husniza is a yeah. is a good example of that because she talked about her teacher who who you know um who who made a joke uh, about rape, and then somehow you know she because she couldn't attend school because of the trauma she was somehow ex- you know threatened with with expulsion, um and has suffered. You know a lot of backlash because of it. And mm-hmm. you know, th- this is a person who is a survivor who's actually speaking up against something that's wrong. But what's happening to you know the, the teacher. teacher. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. And and there's also what we also wanted is um organizational duty, um, which means that institutions, whether you're a public or private institution, should have a positive duty. To ensure a safe environment um, from sexual harassment, and that could include, you know, uh, uh, either formulating policies for prevention, um, you know, making sure there's training that you know so that people know what sexual harassment is and where to go, and have a mechanism on how to deal with it if someone actually wants to lodge a complaint or say something. So that that part and you know didn't make it to the bill.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that that would be actually really good, right? Especially um in public spaces, no?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and also in virtual spaces as well.
1: Yeah. yeah true. True. Danny cancel culture has a transitive property. Um, anyone associated with an alleged perpetrator, unless they publicly disassociate themselves from that alleged perpetrator. Are considered to be as bad as the alleged perpetrators themselves. So, you know, when Fauzi Nawawi was attacked by netizens on his action of normalizing rape culture on national television um, and received immense backlash, um, it was his daughter who had to take to Instagram to apologize and ask netizens to stop sending her and her family members abusive messages. Is this anger, is this kind of anger warranted or is it or is it something that uh, we need to be also watchful for? As much as we want to uh, make the alleged perpetrator accountable,
0: um, I th- I think it's problematic when you know other people who, other people other than the wrongdoer get attacked, you know, simply by association, or you know, because if you didn't do anything, why should you be blamed? Um, and and that's but the, the perception the
1: sometimes the perception is that you're not doing anything to to make this person accountable, and you're in a better position to do so.
0: True, but how do you know, right? Um, and, and I think because of this, um, you know, uh, because we have these online or like social media platforms and all that, sometimes it's very, sometimes people cannot divorce their personal and and life outside um, or like life online. Because when you see someone uh, online, you, you you think that they know, yeah, I mean, sorry, you think that you know this person, but you don't. Um, and, it, and it's easy to say that, you know, because um, you know, this person is really person A is related to person B, um, they must have the same views or, you know, or they would have, they would have um called the other person out. I, I don't think that's that's right. Because mm. you 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 never know what goes what happens behind all that, right like maybe maybe they have done maybe they have spoken to that that other person and and for us or, or for people to to then attack or harass you know relatives of you know close friends or or you know people like that, I, I think that's quite dangerous and especially when you know platforms, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and and all that. They have, you know, these these things contain a lot of information about you. Right. Mm. It tells you, it tells people who you are, what you do, where you live or work, who you're related to. And sometimes sometimes people actually will find you and 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 you know threaten you. And that's very I, I think we need to be careful. Um, that about we're not doing perpet- that. You, you shouldn't be harm. going after people who have nothing to do with was with what was said or done. I think individual accountability is what is important in this context.
1: Fadia, I mean, coming back to you on the on the same question, right? Because you talked about community and how community yeah. can also help mm. to to educate, to help make the alleged perpetrator realize, or maybe even to to better understand the situation, right? Mm-hmm. so so what are your thoughts on this like uh when the when the harm uh is directed then to people associated with the alleged perpetrator even though the association is perceived and not may not actually be real
2: mm. that's why i think you know it's very important for us to understand what being in community means you know if let's say you want to know you know what i think about this case, for example, if Mm -hmm. we are in a community, you know, we should be able to talk about it freely, right? Without having to make that kind of judgment or accusation, you know, we should be able to sit down and talk to one another. I think that is very important because at the same time, I also understand the importance of not, uh, the importance of people um, to to you know express their anger I don't want to be policing that because you know we might be silencing people who don't have mm. enough you know uh, resources or you know uh, means you know to get their voices heard so we also don't want to be risking that so how do we balance that out right when we talk about members of our own community like what we should do to, to deal with that kind of situation, you know, so that nothing gets lost, you know, in, in this whole thing. And yeah, because at the end of the day, we, we want change, right, to happen. So at that community level, I think it has to happen because you can't wait for the state to do it for you because the state is not interested in doing that, right? So, you know, when we talk about, you know, this notion of justice and all that, you know, that the state cannot dispense that kind of justice because of you know its interest in upholding patriarchy we know that from history Mm. but we also do not want to be acting like the state when trying to build communities when trying to build a different world you know when we're trying to imagine a different world where we can exist and also change the material reality so that you know that world can become a reality one day so I think yeah it's I think it's it's time that we talked about all these things because if we don't talk about it now, nothing will get changed. You know, it's like yeah, it's well, not what, easy. Of course, it's not easy, right? Yeah, because, yeah, it's not easy yeah. because uh, like as you said, right? The case that you mentioned, Fauzi Naoui, For me, he's he's a he's a very influential person. Mm.
1: So
2: like, if I um, let's say if I'm, you know, if I was related to him, what would I do? So I would ask that question, you know, instead of saying, "Oh, you know, like stop harming him." Maybe I, there are the other things that I can say, you know, as a family member who also has a responsibility to do something about sexual violence in our society. You know, mm-hmm. if we mm-hmm. activists think that or believe that we have that responsibility, why should we not expect that members of you know how many members yeah. of this person also take that responsibility mm. you no know, of course you know you don't expect them to say that oh he's wrong but you know there's a way of you know you can always say something that would indicate some kind of willingness to you know to do something about it you know to get justice for people involved in this case for example
1: but isn't it um i guess my question is um do we would we be able to find the balance that's one because if you say we have to create or be able to sort of make space for that anger because that you know mm-hmm. the person hasn't been able to seek redress um, there's of course a lot of frustration right a lot of uh, likely traumatization still so do how do we balance that when when that, that anger can also lead to harm, right? I you you said we we have a, you know to sit down and speak as a community to discuss to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your experience, is there a possibility that a, a survivor led solution in terms of uh, approach, in terms of st- what kind of redress the survivor is seeking, vis-a-vis what a community driven approach would be, would there be conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, there is that possibility of conflict, mm no?
2: Yes, definitely. It's not going to be easy. Uh, And I've also seen cases where, you know, like halfway through, things just get abandoned because, you know, it's really hard to get consensus, right? It's really hard to get agreement on certain things. So I think what we need to do is really revive that process and talk about the things that have failed, And the things that we could do to overcome the obstacles that we may find along the way. So, yeah, it's about making that intervention. And also, I think that willingness also has to be there. Like people who are involved, you know, like the the survivors, you know, community members, everyone should have that willingness to genuinely want to figure this out together. Because, of course, you know, I don't have the answer now but mm. having seen how things have unfolded i think it's yeah it's time that we
1: seriously talked about overcoming those obstacles that i mentioned yeah so can call out or cancel culture ensure healing and accountability because for many it looks like a, more like a mob attack and then a lot of us become more focused on canceling, rather you know, the alleged perpetrator, rather than seeing how access to justice can really be better enabled for the victims. So we, you know, like Fadé, you talked about uh, sort of a more community approach, um, the ability to talk to one another, but oftentimes that doesn't work, you know. So so oftentimes what we see is it comes across as punitive rather than really enabling redress. So how does this actually help? The survivors has it really generated the needed public discourse on consent sexual violations and bodily autonomy what change has it really brought about Danny we start with you
0: um okay so to the question on whether it helps with healing I can't speak for everybody but sometimes seeing someone being called out does help because what it does is that it shows accountability that that person will, have to deal with the consequences of their actions. Mm. Um, when you're talking about someone influential, for example, um, the 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 Sungai Buloh Hospital case, right, where you have several mm. doctors speaking up about this very very senior, yeah. highly respected doctor that that doing that takes power away from the perpetrator back into the survivor's hands. But you know that that I, I think it's a very different thing from saying, oh, you know, now I feel. Better and all that. To say that it heals the trauma completely, I I don't think that's what happens. I think that's separate, but it might encourage other survivors to speak up. Um, And the Me Too movement and the Make School a Safe Space environment uh, sorry, Make School a Safe Space movement these are good examples of that because you don't feel alone in your experience anymore and, and it can be quite empowering. So you know, to share my own personal experience. And this wasn't online, but, you know, when I was about 17, 18 years old, I was actually harassed by my driving instructor. Um, he touched my thigh and, and you know, he moved his hand up and down saying, you know, supposedly trying to demonstrate how the gear works, you know. Mm. Uh, you know? Mm. Um, and you know, it took some time for me to eventually, you know, gather the courage to tell him off. But, you know, it was months later, and the damage was done and i didn't speak about it mm. to anyone until many many years later and when i did i found out that at least two other people had act- actually experienced the exact same thing um, and the, the strange thing was that was that there's a good 20 30 years between us when you know the incidents happened so you know, someone who was older than me and someone who was younger than me, and they had the exact same experience with a driving instructor sexually harassing them. And and you know, I know now, of course, that I don't need validation from someone else to know that what happened was wrong. Mm. But it it gave me that that power to to and and it also reminded me that we need to continue speaking up because if we don't, then it will continue to happen. Um and and that may not be healing but it does help with taking that power back um the, at least you know that's what i think
1: affirmation right yeah. yeah yeah and taking the power back i think that's really important like feeling like you you're not you don't feel helpless anymore like completely helpless
0: yeah so i i think another thing is that you know this this anti sexual harassment bill we've been campaigning for it for you know for many years now. And I think we we the the awareness and and you know the fact that people are you know are talking about this the sexual harassment experience that they have um they've gone through um call out cancel culture and all that 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 actually helped with the campaigning of the bill because that that created this discourse where people said oh we need a sexual harassment law we need we need something that that deals with with this issue and that issue um so in a way you know um this cancel call out um, culture has sort of helped us in in trying to get the bill um passed because more and more people are talking about it and I think we need to do more of that um so that we can actually I mean not just have the bill but also, actually educate people right um we want to prevent it before it actually happens you don't want it yeah. to happen and then have to deal with it
1: exactly yeah what about you fadia does it um ha- have you seen it help like in terms of or how have you seen it help people right because i think um for you personally you sort of tried to intervene in quite a few cases mm-hmm. You know, is, is it more of a process? Danny and you sort of agreed, like, it's, you know, taking power back, mm-hmm. uh, affirmation. So is it more of a process or is it almost like this is like the instant sort of outcome that, you know, a lot of survivors experience? Um,
2: it is part of the process, I think. Um, I think anger, when it is righteous, it's very powerful, right? Audrey Lord talked about that Um but at the same time as you mentioned you know anger can also cause a lot of things you know can also complicate things but i think for me i don't have a right to get people not to be angry if i'm not doing anything about what's happening you know so for me and people people have every right to be angry but if there's nothing that we're doing currently to address that anger or you know to not let that anger turn into something that is counterproductive then i think the responsibility is really on us like you know we have to acknowledge the fact that we are not doing enough Um, so that's something that we need to figure out collectively Um, yeah
1: but there are cases where the survivors themselves don't want to talk right I mean, yeah. we also know that a lot of the allegations made sometimes can be years after, Yeah, you know, when they finally realize or they finally feel like safe enough to speak up. When they finally feel like then there won't be any like serious repercussions, especially when it comes to uh, job, employment, Yeah, salary, promotion.
2: It's not easy to speak up. Yeah, you're
1: right. Like even for me,
2: right? Like I experienced sexual harassment maybe like five years ago and I barely told anyone about it because it was so traumatizing, right sexual harassment, acts of sexual violence. It's hard even for me, like you know who always talks about all these things right in public yeah, so, so imagine as a victim. people yeah, exactly so I just cannot imagine you know what it feels like to be out there not knowing anyone, you know, not having any space for you to speak about that kind of experience. It must be so so hard. So, when, but if know, the yeah. community
1: seeks a conversation, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. or or at least not even with the alleged perpetrator, just a conversation with the survivor. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what what does it take then to to have that conversation? If especially if the survivor mm-hmm. doesn't feel safe enough.
2: If you know Ooh. the survivor, you know if the survivor reaches out to you, maybe you can always say things that are affirming you know maybe you can suggest things and you know listen sometimes they just want someone to listen to what they have to say right that's very i mean that's the kind of affirmation that people need and then you know we can you know it really depends on the on the victims right on the survivors what they want to do so we you know, again right consent right we need to have their consent before we act on the matter Mm. So yeah but for them to be able to have that courage i think it it also has to be enabled by people around them you know if we people see more and more people are speaking up that would really help them to to gather the courage to do it because i've seen it you know i've seen how people you know at certain point they feel like okay you know i j- i'm just going to do it you know because everyone else is speaking about it so i'm just going to share my experience and then you have other people affirming that experience and that is very liberating too, you know. It's not. I'm not saying that. Oh, you know, I'm healed because, you know, I spoke about it. But you know, it is part of the process, right? The process is long,
1: but yeah. that's like
2: one of the steps. And sometimes never ending. Exactly. It's like a. It's perpetual, really. Like as we figure things out, right? Yeah. Mm. As yeah, I totally agree with Danny when she said that. You know, it's very empowering
1: and affirming. You know, to have people mm. to also talk about. That kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, so now this anti-sexual harassment bill has been passed. <laughs> uh, do you feel good about that?
0: Um, I think it's a it's it's basically the first step. Um, obviously we're not we're not done. We're nowhere near done, I think. Um because I did
1: say um, you know, it's better to be educated about it, that it's not uh, desired behavior right it's not desired behavior on, on for for anyone to yes, to do that yes. so yes. how 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 do you think the public should educate themselves on the first on sexual harassment and then the, the the bill itself
0: there's actually a lot of content um you know to be honest when you know especially online as well um you can you know read about it and and follow you know some of the developments that you know the women's groups have done um, we of course continuously, you know, work with different stakeholders, talking to people about the bill, and also actually dealing with actual survivors and who have you know come to us and and share with us you know what's happened to them, and we will continue to do that. Um, I think obviously the the state needs to do that as well. I understand that that um if I'm not mistaken, the minister has actually said that there will be roadshows and. All that to talk about this anti-sexual harassment bill which is which is a step in the right direction um I, I think more needs to be done of course like you know what I was what I mentioned about like organizational duties and protection against victimization and and um widening the definition for example of, of sexual harassment I think these are also key things that we need to add um you know, Although they didn't make it to to you know this bill, I'm I'm really hoping that we will eventually amend it, um in the future to actually include these because, because it needs to be effective. It uh, you you can't just have a bill and say okay you know we can all
1: yeah you've be probably, done you done and know, you know yeah, like go home now yeah um
0: it, people need to be able to be confident that they will actually be able to to seek justice and to seek redress under the bill enforcement also needs to be tightened um that of course takes a lot of work and and and, you know um discussions with different stakeholders and then of course you know education um and and i think everybody needs to do that right it cannot just be the ngos for example um it needs to also be, you know, private institutions, public institutions.
1: Yeah, and putting in the policy, right? Putting in an anti-sexual harassment policy. That's exactly
0: what organisational duty is about. Actually making it compelling institutions
1: to do that. Um, Yeah. That needs to happen. So that's like a big step towards educating the public. Fadia and Danny, how do we move forward? Especially when, you know, this thing about when, when support right needs to come from community and it could be even you know strangers, right? In, from the larger society, like you said, people who have actually had similar experiences or maybe even uh, the, the very same experiences from the same alleged perpetrator, right? So then how do we move forward? How do we form these communities or how do we strengthen these communities? Especially like I think Danny, when you spoke about like uh, in the physical space in, in an office environment, you know, when sometimes the sense of community is completely uh, missing, right? Because it's so uh, clinical, <laughs> for want of a better word, right? You just go there, do your work, you know, and uh, relationships are sort of like just cordial. So, wh- how do we do this? How do we move forward as a society? Because we want to prevent sexual harassment, not necessarily. You know, to just be punitive about it, right? Maybe we can start with you, Fadia.
2: Mm, I think, you know, like with your colleagues at work, you know, you have to start talking to them. You know, sometimes we hardly talk to our neighbors, right? <laughs> I'm guilty <laughs> of that
0: too. Right? Exactly. I don't even know my own
2: neighbors, <laughs> you know, because because of the you know, individualism, you know, that that we live under, right? So we have to break that really, like, you know, to really get to know people around us, you know, people who matter to us, people who who need us right like we need each other right uh because we live in in a society that you know i mean that is very important for us to have that kind of relationship with people so that you know we can bring about change like radical change that can radically transform our society so yeah even like you know as an activist <laughs> even we find that difficult so you know but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue finding the answers to our questions we shouldn't stop you know figure it stop figuring this out you know we have to start talking about it actively trying to like formulate ideas and you know come up with things that might work you know and talk about the things that didn't work so I think to be able to talk about these things um, is the first step uh, because honestly, I'm I don't know I, mean, I don't if you ask me now, I don't have the answers like what do we do first,
1: right? But mm. for me, yeah, how do we do it? You know, I don't have like concrete plans and you know to, to deal with it. But isn't of- that also like sort of subject to context, right? Like Yes, um,
2: exactly. Very much, yeah. Yeah. But
1: and think, like you said, yeah. uh, consent of the survivor. Exactly. In terms of yeah. the process and so on. Yeah.
2: But if we know someone in our community who is having difficulty trying to get justice and accountability then we can always reach out right and then that person too has to understand you know this concept called community so when we have that kind of understanding i think things would be a lot easier you know because people are genuinely concerned and they genuinely want to find you know the solution to the problem so I think that's hard I think because you know sometimes we don't think beyond ourselves right we just think about ourselves and we don't think about building something you know building a community is not easy organizing is not easy you know it's mm. not easy it's not like, oh, you know, I hold this one forum and that's about it. No, <laughs> it's not like that. You know, to build that trust that, you know, um, yeah, the kind of relationship that is based on respect and love, that's not easy, but it doesn't mean that it cannot be done. Because if we, you know, yeah, if we look at all the works by all these radical feminists, right? I mean, they did all these works, you know, before, So I think, you know, we should continue doing the works now and figure things out, you know, collectively. Because things change, context shift, power shifts. So, yeah, how do we deal with all these things, right? Um, Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, Danny. before you answer, also consider like, you know, how seeking redress or supporting uh, the survivor of uh, sexual harassment, like, you know, it really pushes us out of our comfort zone. So maybe we can also speak to that, like, how do we then move forward, right? Because yeah. if it pushes us out of our comfort zone, and I think Fadia was also, you know, sort of speaking to this, the, the need for us to talk about things, right? Uh, the need for us to talk about the harms as well that that could be perpetrated, you know, as a result of the cancelling, as a result of calling out.
0: Yeah. um, I I, I agree with what you know, I think Fadia mentioned this quite a few times about dealing with respect and, and love, right? It sounds very, you know, but, but the truth is
1: <laughs> unreachable, <laughs> unachievable. <laughs>
0: like, oh, you know.
1: <laughs> that is the doubter, Fadia.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I mean, anyway. Um, oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the, the truth is that that is actually what is needed, mm. right? Um, because and, and I'm not talking about like doing, um, you know, organizing things and and you know, um, uh, campaigning and you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes, sometimes mm. it's really just the small things, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, someone. And maybe you've heard that this person has been, you know, someone had, had accused this person of, of sexually harassing someone or something like that. Then, you know, maybe that first step could be just like reach out to that person, right? And I think what you mentioned about, about you know, um, this, this concept of like, oh, you know, you must punish, you know. Um, you don't have to do that. Right. And 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 then I don't think that's the intention either. Like, you know, we're not when we talk about sexual harassment in, in this context, example you know, especially what we want is simply this. Stop doing it, don't do it anymore. You know, um, and, and ensure that there is a safe space. And sometimes, you know, people don't actually mean what they say, you know, it's like sometimes people make like jokes, for example. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's because it's because it's something that is normalised, then stop doing it. Yeah,
1: they've never been told Stop doing it,
0: apologise.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, be responsible for it, right? That's really, you know, the the, the simple smallest thing that you can do. And then, of course, when someone reaches out to you and says that they have actually experienced sexual harassment, for example, then then be that listening ear because sometimes, sometimes they don't want to take action and we have to respect that yeah right for for whatever reason it could be because you know they're worried about what what's going to happen to them or maybe they just don't want to go through that process of like you know retelling your story mm. having to you know go through a, a panel of investigation and all that um sometimes you just don't you just don't want to go through that and that's mm. fine mm. right but the healing process really um requires, listening and, and understanding and like you know you don't even have to say anything you just need to be there for that person
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and 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 you know sometimes it can it can be difficult to hear this or or you know like you said push pushes us out, out of our comfort zone but you need to do that um because sometimes when when as a survivor you you the first thing that you usually do is that you blame yourself and you talk to yourself and and you try to internalize it and deal with it yourself it's quite difficult to actually say to someone hey you know this happened to me um and you know that takes courage so so you know as a friend or as a relative or you know whoever you need to you need to respect that you need to listen and and you know um <clears throat> Give them that comfort, right? Assure them like, yes. You know, um, you are believed,
1: for example, and
0: um and, and be there for that person.
1: All right. Thank you so much for your views and insights, um, Fadya and Danny. Really appreciate it. I'm not going to attempt to summarize it, but I think they're really like very critical, important points for for listeners to reflect, I guess, reflect and also to act, yeah. So thank you again. It's not an easy topic.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you.
1: So we just heard from Fadia Nadwa Fikri, a lawyer by training and currently doing her PhD in Southeast Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. And Daniela Zulkifli, who is currently the Vice President of Association of Women Lawyers and is part of the team that drafted the Anti-Sexual Harassment Bill for women's rights activists who formed the advocacy group. If you enjoyed listening to Gossip, do follow us and stay tuned for our next episode on Citizenship Rights in Malaysia, Are We Equal as Malaysians? You can find Chris Network on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Remember, Gossip is where alternative perspectives make sense.